This is Radio Influence. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. I'm your host, Vincent Hill, coming to you from Atlanta, Georgia, a.k.a. Hotlanta. And I tell you, it's been really hot. I hope everyone had a very safe, prosperous, relaxing Fourth of July weekend. I know I did. I was in Mississippi on Friday and Saturday. I came back late Saturday night into Sunday morning. I go there every year to hang out with the McNair family. And for those of you who don't know, I actually wrote two books about the death of Steve McNair, the former Titans and Baltimore Ravens quarterback who was killed back on July 4th, 2009, in the city of Nashville. The case was closed as a murder-suicide. Now let me preface this by saying I have a lot of friends that are still on Nashville Police Department, a lot of dear friends. I have a lot of dear friends in Nashville. But I will say I never believed that case to be a murder-suicide if you look at the facts of the case, if you looked at what happened in the case, and I started speaking out about the case, I wrote two books, Playbook to a Murder and Incomplete Pass, and I actually was hired by Steve McNair's mother to investigate the case. And let's just say there's a lot of stuff that I uncovered that are in those books that the public was not privy to when that case was closed within three days as a murder-suicide. So if you've ever been curious about what happened to Steve McNair, that fateful day, 2009, July 4th, 2009, I urge you to buy the books, especially Incomplete Pass. It goes into great detail of what really happened, whose alibi was shattered, whether a gun sale really took place or not, and who had the most to gain from the death of Steve McNair. It's available on Amazon.com. Now, this is definitely not a book plug by any means, but if you've ever been curious about that case, I urge you to go out, buy the books. I have a few videos out on YouTube that kind of set up what the book is about. You can check those out as well on my YouTube channel. Now, enough about that. I tell you, in Mississippi, at the McNair Ranch, as I always do, I ate so much that I had to take several naps Saturday before I drove back. I mean, I was so full. I'm still kind of full, and here we are. Several days later, I can tell you the McNair family definitely know how to treat someone as if they're family, and they definitely know how to feed someone as if they're family. But I can tell you who didn't have a very safe 4th of July weekend, and that would be the city of Chicago. Now, imagine that. Now, around 5 o'clock on the 4th of July... The 5 o'clock news reported that there were already 32 shootings in the city of Chicago. 32 shootings in one day. What in the world is going on there? 32 shootings, city of Chicago. Now, if I remember correctly, the mayor went on record saying that they needed police reform in the city of Chicago. They brought in this black face to be the new acting chief or superintendent, whatever they call it, in Chicago. But yet, just last week, they reported that their murder rate soared a record 72% in 2016, and their shooting rate is up 
88%, a 72% spike in your murder rate, and you have probably the highest murder rate in the United States as it is. So are we still talking that we need police reform, or is one day the mayor and this new black chief and the police department and the citizens of Chicago and all these activists that are protesting these shootings and this misconduct of all of these officers that are just devils in Chicago? Are we going to wake up one day and say, hmm, maybe it's not us that need reform, as in police. Maybe, just maybe, it's the city of Chicago and its citizens that need reforming. Maybe, just maybe, all of these videos that people are protesting about, and, you know, Chicago last month released over 100 videos, and I've looked at most of those videos, and quite honestly, besides one that is questionable, in my opinion, not illegal, but questionable, all the other videos that people were in an uproar about, about shootings and misconduct and police use of force, they were justified. All of them were justified. The shootings were justified. The tasings were justified. The use of force was justified. It wasn't about police reform. It was about you had a criminal who was acting out, who did not comply with orders. I watched one video where the guy tried to run over four police officers with his car. And then he wonders why he got shot. His family wonders why he got shot. I watched another video where a guy that was half naked, and anyone in law enforcement knows how that fight is already going to go, charged the officer in a very threatening manner. So he was shot and he was tased. It was justified. Oh, and before that, he had grabbed an innocent young lady off the street and attempted to rape her. Again, the police were there doing their jobs. It wasn't because they wanted to just take flight on this black man. The guy that tried to run over four police officers with his vehicle, it wasn't, the police didn't shoot him just because, oh, I want to shoot this black dude. No, he tried to run them over with his vehicle at a very high rate of speed. What did he think the outcome was going to be? Police respond with deadly force? With deadly force. Is a car deadly force? You bet your bottom dollar it's deadly force. You try getting hit with a car at a high rate of speed and see if you live, see how it feels. It's deadly force. And, you know, I don't know what's worse. The fact that these same people in office, and yes, I mean from the president to Loretta Lynch to all of these people who go to these cities and just demand justice because of one black man getting killed, aren't the same people. And I can't tell you how many times I've listened to President Obama after a mass shooting talk about how we need gun control. Well, let's add up the victims in Orlando. I think there were about 30 or 40 victims in Orlando. That was considered a mass shooting. But you just had 30-plus shootings in your city over the 4th of July, and that was at 5 o'clock. I haven't even looked at the numbers totaling from the 4th of July. If I had to guess, speculate, I would say there were 50-plus shootings in the city of Chicago on the 4th of July. When you look at it by the numbers, that is a mass shooting. So while we preach gun control because one person who purchases a gun legally, who we can call it terror, we can call it whatever, I think he was a little crazy and off, whatever the situation was, he can go into a nightclub, shoot a bunch of people, and we call it a mass shooting, we call it terrorism, we say that we need gun control, but in the city of Chicago, where the President of the United States was once governor of Illinois, we don't consider that mass shootings. We don't consider that 
an issue where we need to preach gun control because probably, realistically, the president, Department of Justice, and all these people that go in and look at these cases realize it ain't a gun control issue that this country needs. It's a crime issue. The gun control needs to be focused where it needs to be focused on all these convicted felons who have guns, who get guns through stealing them from police, through police auctions, through buying them secondhand on Craigslist, through however they're getting these guns. I know in the city of Atlanta, in a one-week period, five different gun stores were broken into in the middle of the night. Guess what? Those weren't people like me who have a carry permit that says I can legally carry a weapon because it is my Second Amendment right. No. Those are people, Pookie and them, that are down in southeast Atlanta, southwest Atlanta, uh, Bankhead, all of these places where the crime rate is high in Atlanta. Those are the people in there buying uh, guns from these gun stores. So we can talk gun control over mass shootings all we want. We can talk that we need better background checks. We can talk about all of that. But when you look at mass shootings, and yeah, it looks bad in the news. It seems like there's one every day, but there's not. But what I can tell you is there's 30 to 40 people being shot in Chicago every day. There's four or five people being shot in Atlanta every day. I just read a report in Vegas how their shooting and their murder rate is up by 100% in 2016. These aren't mass shootings where gun control was the issue. No, these are criminals who had their hands on a gun by illegal measures. And that is where we need to focus. That is where we need to focus. Because it's not going to stop just because the city of Chicago has a black police chief. Obviously. It didn't stop because this country saw its first black president who got reelected. Did all gangbangers say, oh, we got a black president, so for the next four years, we need to act accordingly? <laughs> no, they didn't. When he got reelected, did they say, oh, President Obama got reelected, so yeah, we really got to act nice now? No, they didn't. They continued to act how they were going to act. They continue to go out and murder, to shoot, to rape, to rob, to do whatever. And I know I probably sound like Donald Trump at this point, but I'm not saying anyone needs to be removed from this country or we need to block people from this country. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is what we can control, we need to control. And if we can find Saddam Hussein in a cave in the middle of nowhere, if we can find Osama bin Laden hiding out and kill him, we, if we really wanted to, as politicians in this country, if we really, really, truly, truly, truly wanted to, we could stop this gun problem that is affecting our streets. And I'm not talking about someone going to a gun store and legally buying an AR-15 or handgun or shotgun or whatever I'm talking these mass shootings. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is the mass shootings that occur in the black communities on a daily basis. 
the terrorism that occurs in the black community on a daily basis. And yes, it's terrorism. What is the definition of terrorism? I've read it before, but let me read it again. The simple definition is the use of violent acts to frighten the people in an area as a way of trying to achieve a goal. Now, let's see. I left the word political out, but you get the picture. We can omit the word political and put in any type of goal, whether it's financial, gang-related. There's a goal there. And what's used? Violence. When people roll up into a drive-by, it's violence. When people get out of their car and shoot you 20 times because you're wearing a different color, it's violence. You frighten people. So therefore, it's terrorism. So we can preach that we need gun control because these terrorists, we can preach that we need it because a guy goes into an abortion clinic. Yes, it happens. And I'm not saying we should ignore it, but what I am saying is terrorism is happening in our streets every day at a very alarming rate that politicians in office right now choose to ignore. They choose to call it something else. Oh, it's misguided youth. Oh, it's this. Oh, no. The simple fact is it's terrorism. Gang members terrorize other people. They terrorize communities. They put the fear of God in people so they won't even talk to say what they saw. So is there really a difference between someone with the last name Oheed or whatever his name was going into a bar in Orlando and shooting 40 people versus Pookie and Jerome and Tyrone going and shooting 40 or 50 or 60 people in one day. Is there really a difference? The outcome is the same. You still have family members left behind without their loved one because of something senseless, something that was meant to achieve a goal, whether it was political, gang-related, financial, whatever. The outcome is the same. So we can preach all of this difference, but there is no difference. But yet... We still have people that are lost, confused, brainwashed into what is really going on. Like, I was looking at these videos in Chicago and someone who's a Black Lives Matter movement supporter, and hey, whatever, it's free country, compared Laquan McDonald to Emmett Till. He said, Laquan McDonald is the modern day Emmett Till. Let me give you a little refresher course. Laquan McDonald, going down the streets of Chicago with a knife, was shot 16 times by police. After he had approached police, he had punctured a few tires with his uh, knife. He refused to drop the knife. After several commands, he was shot 16 times. That officer is now facing murder charges. Emmett Till, way back in the day, during the civil rights, was just a kid who was lynched after being accused of looking at a white woman. Now, I wasn't there. I don't know. Did he look at a white woman? I don't know. But I know back then, things like that would have gotten you killed. But I don't compare Emmett Till, who was basically an innocent kid, to a Laquan McDonald who had a long rap sheet of crime, who on that night was committing 
a crime, who on that night refused to drop his knife as he was told, there's a huge difference. The only similarity to those two is that they were both black juveniles. And they both happened to be from the city of Chicago. Now, Emmett Till was born in 1941 in Chicago. So that tells you what era he grew up in. So it could be that he was lynched for looking at a white woman. That is the world we were in at that time. But fast forward, when you look at Laquan McDonald, who was born in the late late 90s, almost 2000, that was not the world we were in where black men were just getting lynched because they looked at white women. Trust me, I know I was married to one, so I'm still here. I didn't get lynched, and I'm a black man. But there's no diff- no, there's no similarities between Laquan McDonald, who had this long rap sheet and was committing a crime on that night, and Emmett Till. There is no similarity other than the fact that they were both natives of Chicago. But enough about Chicago. I want to move on from that because, you know, I can talk about Chicago on and on and on. It's never ending in Chicago, and it will never be ending in Chicago. But I want to talk about the latest police shooting that took place last week in Fresno, California. And while I'm talking about this, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to just close your eyes, follow along with the story, follow along with the actions, And then when I finish the story, I want you to open your eyes. And I'm going to say one important thing, and we'll go from there. Now, last Saturday, Fresno police received the call of a male armed with a rifle walking the streets. So as police approach, they see a black pickup truck leaving at a high rate of speed. So police, as they do with their intuition, think, hmm, this could be the guy. Our girl, at this point they don't know, who could have had the weapon. They see us, they take off at a high rate of speed. So they travel, they follow behind this truck for about a mile with their blue lights and siren on before it finally pulls into a Chevron station. So when they finally pull over at the Chevron station, the driver gets out of the truck, walks away, and then refuses to show his hands. Now, police are thinking, rifle, gun, they got a 911 call. They're refusing to show their hands. The subject made a statement he hated his life to the officers, at which time he still had one of his hands in the small of his back. So, as officers were still yelling commands, let me see your hands, let me see your hands, he refused to do that. Approaches the officers with his hand behind his back as if he had a weapon. So, as he approached the officers, The officers fire, both officers, and hit him four times. He later died at an area hospital. And immediately, the community of Fresno was in an uproar. Protest. Signs that say, F the police. Protesters screaming, F the police. All of this stuff. And it's the same story. He was a good kid. He never hurt anybody. He didn't deserve to die. All the stuff we've heard before. And police have even gone on record in saying, hey, we're not sure if this is the same person that someone called 911 on and we didn't find a rifle, we didn't find a weapon in the truck or on this person. However, he did approach the officers in a threatening manner when they were responding to a 
person with the gun call. And, according to police, this person said he hated his life. And we've seen it, suicide by cop. Does it happen? Yes, unfortunately it happens. People try to get police to shoot them. So we don't know what he was thinking. We can surmise what the officers were thinking because they were dispatched to a call, 911 call of a man with a gun. This guy has his hands behind his back as if he's reaching for a gun and he approaches the officers. So the officers used the amount of force they thought they had to do any Reasonable officer probably would have used the same amount of force given what they were told about this call. So, now we have a dead 19-year-old. We have the city of Fresno at odds with police, almost to the point of being violent. We have F the police, justice for Dylan. We have all of this stuff, as we've seen a hundred times in the last few years. Now... Had I been the officer, I don't know if I would have acted the same way. Again, it's all about officer perception and what they perceive. So, speaking for those two officers, given what they were told, given that Dylan did not remove his hand from his back and that he approached the officers and he had stated, I hate my life, I can understand their split-second thinking to say, hey, this individual is attempting to take my life, so I need to do what I need to do to protect my life, my partner's life, and the citizens of Fresno's life if this person does have a gun. Now, open your eyes and remember the movie A Time to Kill where Matthew Mahanahe went through this whole scenario and he had the jury close their eyes. And then he had them open their eyes and say, now imagine she was white. Well, this individual in Fresno, Dylan Noble, who was shot and killed by police, was white. And it's the same scenario. We have protesters in the street. We have protesters throwing bottles at police. F the police. Now they're going on record saying white lives matter. He didn't do nothing. All the stuff we've heard. Now it is true, Dylan never had an arrest that I could find. Witnesses have said he was this great kid, this great high school student. So for all practical purposes, yes, he didn't do nothing. But let's look at what he did that may have led to his death. And by no means am I justifying this or I'm saying it's okay for a father and a mother to lose their son. But let's look at what he did that day. Police had their blue lights and siren on. He didn't stop. That piqued those officers' interest to say, hey, what is going on in this car? He gets out of the vehicle. I hate my life. Now, there's body cam to this, so I'm sure the officers hopefully wouldn't have testified to that if, in fact, he didn't say it. His hands are behind his back. His hands behind his back. They have a call that someone is armed. They don't know if it's him or not at this point. They just know his actions are being furtive. His actions. Then he approaches the officers. So they do what they think they had to do in that split-second decision. Now, I guess my point to all of this is we can still preach till we're blue in the face that this only happens in the black community and it's a 
daily basis in the black community and it never happens to white people because white people get to go home because police don't shoot them for the exact same thing. That is the furthest thing from the truth because I've said it a hundred times, I'll say it a hundred and one. When police are out there doing their job and it's down to life and death, they don't see color. They didn't look at Dylan Noble and say, well, that's a white kid, so I might not want to shoot him even though he says he hates his life and even though I just got a call about a gun, I may want to pepper spray him or I may want to shoot him in the leg because we know how much police do that, right? They didn't see his color. They saw what they perceived in that split second as a reasonable, imminent threat on their life, and they reacted. But the outcome is the same. Protest. The family. The family who lost a loved one. But the root of the problem is people don't understand policing. They don't understand how police think. They don't understand how police react. Had Dylan made a different choice that day to stop immediately to get out with his hands up, maybe, just maybe, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say yes, he would still be alive today. But anytime someone ran for me in a vehicle, whether it was a half a mile, a mile, three miles, however long it was, anytime someone ran from me, my awareness, my suspicions are getting that much higher. Now, I'm sure Dylan's family is going to do the same thing that Michael Brown's family did and Tamir Rice's family and Freddie Gray's family. They're going to demand justice. They're going to want these officers fired. They're going to want them put in prison. They're going to want them to go to jail and to prison for murder because they killed their son. But at the end of the day, like I always say, like I had this conversation last week with someone that didn't understand why, why police were getting off on all these killings of black people. It's because when officers are acting in the line of duty, legally, ethically, and reasonably, it is next to impossible to charge an officer with murder, with assault, with reckless endangerment, because the use of force for hundreds of years has governed, has protected, and has given guidelines to police on how to react given each situation. Each situation. So the situation that these Fresno officers were in, in their minds, was a man with a gun. It wasn't a man with brass knuckles, a man that was walking around seen with mace in his hand, a man that had just punched someone. In their minds, they're responding to a person with a gun. So, you meet deadly force with deadly force. You know, someone told me that I should start going around to different communities and churches and schools and start teaching people about deadly force, use of force continuum, what police brutality really is, what the law allows police officers to do. And maybe, just maybe, that will help people understand that when you resist police, you get met with resistance. If you try to fight the police, guess what? They fight you back, but they fight harder. So while you're watching all these videos on World Star and it's, ooh, look what they're doing to them, maybe you'll understand that it's actually justified and 
actually legal. And, you know, I've actually thought about going around and teaching these classes, but I don't know if I want the headache because, let's be honest, there's going to be certain places I go where they're not going to want to hear it because they've been brainwashed into thinking that it's always white against black and the white guy is always wrong and the black guy is always the victim. It's going to happen. Whether I go to a church, a school, wherever, it's going to happen. But at the same time, I really think it needs to be taught. It needs to be heard. It needs to be addressed. I would go to Washington, D.C. and give the same class, the same speech to some of these politicians that have gone into these black communities and really just divided this country saying, yes, you were a victim. Yes, it was this bad white officer. Yes, it shouldn't have happened. They should have shot him in the leg. I would go to D.C. and teach them. I would be happy to teach the entire Black Lives Matter movement in every state that has a chapter. I would do it because it needs to be told. It's part of the healing that this country needs. It's part of the understanding that this country needs because, hey, you want police killings to stop? Stop doing things that could lead to you getting killed. It's that simple. If I don't want to get killed... And I know if I do something, it's going to get me killed. I know if I jump out of a plane without a parachute, I'm going to die. So guess what? I'm not jumping out of a plane without a parachute. Because I know in about three or four or five minutes when I hit the ground, that's a wrap. So I know if the police are behind me and they turn their blue lights on and I start running from them, and, oh, by the way, I got a gun in the car, and I point the gun at police, it's going to get me shot. And I'm not going to want to hear, well, you should have shot me in the leg. I'm not going to expect that officer to shoot me in the leg. I know if I do that, that could lead to my death. So maybe I will start teaching these classes. I don't know, because I don't know how well it would be received. But, again, the message needs to be heard by the right people and by the wrong people. Let's be honest. But the message needs to be heard. Don't do anything that could jeopardize police having to use force, deadly force against you. Because at the end of the day, and history has shown us that if you're the bad guy, you're going to come out on the losing end of the stick, one way or the other. And speaking of things that get you killed by police really quickly... There's a Nevada Assemblywoman, her name is Michelle Fiore, who's running for an open U.S. House seat, who last week said she believes in the right of self-defense to pull your gun on anyone who's aiming their gun at you, even if they're police. Well, Michelle Fiore, when you begin to get people in your district who may vote for you killed because they pointed their gun at police, don't be surprised because I will tell you like I tell everyone else, police meet deadly force with deadly force. And typically, I'm just going to go say this so you're clear on this, police just don't get out and start pointing their guns at random people just because. Usually, 99.9999999% of the time, when police pull their gun and point it at someone, it's because they have a reason. It's not going to be a case where the police officer just rolls up, 
points their gun at one of your citizens, one of your constituents, and they say, oh, let me point my gun back and fire at this police officer because my assemblywoman said I can do it. What in the world are you thinking? That is the dumbest thing I've heard from a politician in a very long time. Oh, go ahead and point your gun at police because it's self-defense. Well, if you had any half of a brain, you would know that that's not how this is going to work. It's not going to end well for anyone that does that to police. I'm just saying, and that's my political note for today's show. Now, it's time for roll call, and I want to start spotlighting officers in these major cities where all of this stuff has gone down, your Baltimore's, your Chicago's, your New York's, your St. Louis, because I just want everyone to know that always has this negative stuff to say about police. It's real. As the youngsters would say, it's real in these streets. So tonight, I want to spotlight Officer Clifton P. Lewis, Chicago Police Department, killed Thursday, December 29th, 2011, just before New Year's, right after Christmas. He was on duty at a store that had been robbed several times. It's amazing how people will call the police when they need him. He's at this store that was robbed several times. Three males came in the store, shot him immediately, stood over him, shot him again, stole his service weapon and his badge, and fled the scene. Luckily, they caught these guys, but not until two years later, in 2013, where they charged with his murder. Three people. And guess what? Clifton P. Lewis is a black police officer. The suspects were black. It wasn't a white officer that just happened to be standing there that was a white devil. It was a police officer wearing a blue uniform who was shot and killed, probably by some of the same people that would have protested if he would have shot those robbers. It's real in the streets. He's survived by his daughter, who will never be the same, his mother, who will never be the same, and his fiance, who didn't even have the chance to become his wife. All because three knuckleheads, three thugs, wanted to go rob a store and shoot this officer for no reason. In the city of Chicago, where, according to the mayor, they need police reform. So to you, Officer Clifton P. Lewis, thank you for your service. Thank you for giving the ultimate sacrifice. Godspeed to you. My prayers to your family. We love you. Everyone listening loves you. I love you. Thank you so much for listening tonight. I will see you next week, 8 p.m. Eastern, exclusively right here on RadioInfluence.com and available for downloads immediately after the show on iTunes. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter, at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. 
Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. If you're a serious athlete, a weekend warrior, parent, or coach, join us each week as we investigate the latest trends and research coming out of the sport performance world. We'll visit with top athletes, coaches, and sports scientists to keep you on the cutting edge and to find out what it truly takes to achieve human maximum performance. You can visit us online at crushperformance.com and Crush Performance Radio with me, Jeff Kershell, can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and at Radio Influence. 